Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. They're too fast back there. They're like quick draw back there. How are you? Are you good? Good. Happy Easter to everyone. God bless you. Aren't you glad we put out almost all of our chairs today? And we, we had an 8.30 service. Uh, if you uh, didn't hear at the 8.30 service, we gave out uh, free lottery tickets for the 400 million. If you missed, I mean, next time, just know. 8.30 service is where that happens, you know. Uh, there is a clause, though, if you win, it's 25% tithe since we just, just, you know, just this basic principles, basic. We love you guys and we're so happy. Don't get religious on me, baby, talking about the lottery on Easter Sunday. I'm just making jokes, just making jokes. But Jesus could use that money, couldn't he? He could do so much with that money, I'm just saying. I'm glad you're here today. I'm so excited about this. We got one more great service after this today. Uh, this is just a, a record-breaking uh, Sunday for us, and we're so happy to be here. You know, our church is four years old. This is our fourth Easter, and uh, yeah, isn't that amazing? We had our first Easter, and we're really on the way to doing some great things, and then the world came to an end, and we had a global pandemic and didn't get to have Easter. Can you believe? I don't know if that's the first time in American history that nobody was allowed to go to church on Easter, but here we are just a couple years uh, later having a great Sunday, and we're so glad that you are here and a part. Our series that we've been in for the whole year, our theme for the whole year is Stronger Than, with an underscore or with a, a blank after it, Stronger Than, talking about what in life might you go go through that you might have to walk through or endure that you may not feel like you're strong enough to get through. Have you ever wanted to quit something? Oh my gosh. It, quitting is so easy at times. There, there are a couple things I've never wanted to quit. I've never wanted to quit ice cream, <laughs> right? There's a few things, but I've wanted to quit every diet. I've wanted to quit every run I've ever gone on in my life. Every workout I've ever done, I've wanted to quit. There are moments in life that we want to quit. And it's easy to quit. It's tempting to quit. I, I remember my, my parents are here, and I, I just honor Ken and Jean Scrivener. Um, I would not be who I am without these amazing people. Uh, my parents are incredible, incredible. Um, and uh, this is their first time down since the pandemic. They're in their mid-80s and driving was tough and all that. And so thank God that they're able to come and celebrate uh, Easter with us today. But um, they, they taught me so much. And I remember being a 10-year-old and, and I had a little bit of musical talent. I lost all of that uh, along the way. No, no longer do I have any whatsoever. I can sing reggae. That's it. Bob Marley, I will crush Bob Marley on a karaoke machine, I guarantee it. Uh, but but I, I didn't, I don't really have musical talent or whatever, but I got it in my mind that I wanted to play the piano. And at 10 years of age, I was talking, I wanted to play the piano, I wanted to play the piano. And my mom said, listen, the piano, if you, that's a commitment. If you're gonna play the piano, you have to make a commitment. Are you willing to make a commitment? Yeah. Well, the commitment is this, and they, they drew it out and wrote it up on a piece of paper that I had to practice every day, 30 minutes a day. I had to go to my class with Miss Gay uh, every single week, and I had to do all my whatever, and, and, I, I, and they made me make a commitment, and they made me sign it. 10 years old, my first contract, signing my piano commitments. Well, it was the second week, 
when I realized that 10-year-old boys don't like to sit still. In the 80s, they didn't call it ADHD. They called it being 10, <laughs> right? And all my buddies are outside. I see them throwing the football, and I'm sitting behind the piano, and I'm getting, and I wanted to quit so bad, and my parents would not let me quit. I had signed a document. It was legal. It was binding, and I had to finish one year, and it, it taught me something. It created something in me, a tenacity to finish because they wouldn't let me quit. And now, I mean, the way I, 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 I'm with my kids, my kids are not allowed to quit. You're not allowed to quit anything. You made a commitment. You're going to finish this season. You made a commitment. You're going to finish. No, you, quitting is not an option. We don't quit. We're Scribners. We don't quit. I, I remember the first time I got knocked out. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, I, I had a m career as a professional martial artist, and I started when I was 11, and I was 12 years old, went to um, the studio, was fighting, uh, was just a little yellow belt, and was fighting, and back in the 80s, it was different. Now, it's like they, they bundle kids up in like little puffalump suits, and, and this is how they fight, and they got like pads all over their whole body. In the 80s, it was like like on concrete, right? It was carpet with no pad, just carpet on concrete. And it was not safe. The, the tiny little pad, it was unbelievable. And I got, I got like KO'd, man. The guy like swept me and I fell and hit my head on the concrete, knocked me out. And, and afterwards, my mom, she said, you know what? We got in the car. She's like, if you want to quit, you can quit. Now this is two years after piano. And, and, and I looked at her like she was crazy. I said, quit. I said, I'm going to kill that guy. I'm coming back, and I'm going to kill that. You know, and, and it was just one of those moments where it ingrained in me this sense of finish, finish, finish. But that doesn't mean that we're not tempted to quit. We, we can be tempted to quit on a marriage, tempted to quit on a friendship. I've seen people quit on their kids. You can't fathom that. I, 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 I can't imagine. But, but, but people quit. People quit. We, I, I, I want to quit every diet. Ever. There's things I want to quit. We want to quit on bosses. We want to quit on employees. We want to quit. Sometimes people quit on a church, quit on a pastor. It's tough. It's tempting. Maybe it'll be better somewhere else. Can I tell you that Jesus understands what it feels like to want to quit? See, pressure is normally the thing. As pressure builds up, as stress builds up, uh, we, we maybe are dealing with uh, some, some stress or some anxiety or some fear or some whatever, some frustration. It's just too hard. It's too hard. I can't take it. I want to throw in the towel. I want to quit. Jesus can relate to that. Jesus understands pressure. Jesus carried a pressure that no one else has ever carried. You may carry pressure to provide for your family. You may carry pressure to take care of your children. You may carry pressure to get a deal done or to, to run a major business or, or whatever. Everyone has different levels of pressure. We have different, um, what we call capacities, right? Some people, their capacity is to, to work a job and to a nine to five and that's their capacity. Jennifer's mom had the capacity to be an ER nurse in the cardiac unit and deal with catastrophic situations, emergency situations, uh, all kinds of stuff, uh, heart failure and all kinds of things for 40 years. I mean, that's a different level of capacity of being willing to take weight and take pressure. I have a friend who literally his hobby is starting businesses. He starts, he gets an idea, he goes and sells it, makes money and says, crud, now I got to start a business to fulfill the idea that I just sold. And he loves pressure. Some people really like pressure, but pressure can get overwhelming and pressure can make us wanna quit. But Jesus understood pressure. I wanna take you to a moment in Jesus's life 
where he was under the most incredible pressure. No matter what we may have felt in our lives, none of us have carried the weight of the future of mankind on our shoulders. None of us have taken the sins and the guilt of the entire world and its population on our back. Jesus understood pressure. On on his last night as a free human being, 33 years old, it's Passover week. He is the Passover lamb. He's told everyone uh, that week that's with him, that he's explaining to all of them that the Passover lamb uh, must, be, must be put to death for the sins of the nation. He's telling his disciples that he's going to die, but don't worry, in three days, I'll, ra- I'll rise again. He's telling them they're not getting it. They're not understanding it. They're having the Passover meal. They've got uh, the wine and the lamb and the, and the, and the herbs and, and the matzah, and they're enjoying this Passover meal with unleavened bread, and they're spending time together, and Jesus is feeling the pressure. No one else knows what he's carrying. No one else knows what he's got in his mind and his heart. He's trying to communicate it to them, but they just can't get it. They're sitting at dinner, and Jesus finally says to them, you know, one of you is going to betray me. In fact, all of you are going to walk away from me. But one of you is a devil. Jesus said that. Who is it, Jesus? Which one? He says, it's the one that dips their hand in the dish with me. I don't know if you've ever eaten in a Mediterranean environment, but the whole thing is reaching and dipping. The whole thing is 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 dipping in the dish, olive oil and hummus and and, and tabbouleh and all the different things. It's all reaching. It's family style, and every single one of them is like the who puts their hand in the dish. We're all putting our hands in the dish, and he looks at Judas and he says, "Go do what you must do." Judas gets up and leaves the table. Jesus keeps talking. He's feeling the pressure. They have no idea. He begins to talk to them about the Holy Spirit. His last moments on earth, his last moments as a free teacher before he's taken captive and he's teaching them and talking to them about his will for them to be one, like he and the Father are one. He's talking to them about his desire for them to receive the Holy Spirit into their life, to be filled with the Spirit, to be filled with his power so that they can be like him and be great witnesses in the earth. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's trying to convey the pressure, but they just don't get it. He says, it's time for us to leave, and they walk out of the city of David. I've been to Jerusalem a couple times. I've been to Israel, and I can visualize all of this. We've walked these streets and these steps, walking out of the city, walking through the gate, walking down into what's called the Kidron Valley, this beautiful valley. Uh, Jerusalem is built up on a hill. They literally cut the top of the hill off, and they put the temple up there, and it's built all over the hills. It's gorgeous when you look at the city of Jerusalem. And you go down into the Kidron Valley, and up, you look up in this, this beautiful grove of olives, it's the Mount of Olives in a little bitty garden that Jesus loved to hang out in, in the Mount of Olives, a very private and quaint place called the Garden of Gethsemane. So emotional for me thinking about that place that I've been a couple times now. See, olive trees live for thousands of years. So when we were in the Garden of Gethsemane, there were olive trees that were 2,000 years old. The same trees that were there when Jesus was alive. Oh, if trees could talk. The emotion I felt in that place, palpable. It was the place of Jesus' anguish. The pressure became so great on him. Let me read this account to you. Luke chapter 22, it says, coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. He loved to go there and pray. It was one of his favorite places to be. 
And his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he sat down and said to them, pray that you may not enter temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed saying, father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel appeared from heaven and strengthened him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and he had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter temptation. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude and who was called Judas, one of the 12 went before him and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? Can you imagine the pain that Jesus must have felt? We've all been betrayed. We've all been heartbroken. You remember your first heartbreak? That first girl that did you dirty? That first guy that, that wasn't faithful? That first heartbreak? I was in ninth grade. No, 10th grade. Oh man, Jeannie. My parents warned me about that girl. Left me for an older guy with a motorcycle. Broke my little heart. I was devastated. Started listening to The Cure. <laughs> Writing sad poetry sitting in my room all sad. Heartbreak. Jesus knows that pressure. He knows that pain. He knows that sense. Heartbreak. He can relate. Jesus wanted to quit in that garden. He said, God, if there's any other way, have you been in that place? Have you ever been in that place where you're like, God, God there has to be another way. Can you just get me out of this? Oh man, I remember praying that. So many times when the markets crashed and we were losing houses left and right, Jesus, can you just get me out of this? Times where the market crashed and, and, I, and I lost the college fund. Jesus, can you get me out of this? All of these different things, times, and all of a sudden you realize that there's just stuff in life that you have to go through. And Jesus says, no, you're stronger than that. Times where you feel like I can't make it. I'm gonna quit. Jesus wanted to quit. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't quit? Hebrews chapter 12, verse two says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he had and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, for the joy set before him, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured. Jesus, Jesus was stronger than the accusations. He was stronger than the betrayal. He was stronger than the beatings. They, 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 they blindfolded him and punched him in the face and jeered him. He was stronger than the jeering. Prophesied to us, Jesus, who's the one hitting you? He was stronger than the thorns that they put on his, uh, into, into his head and pushed it down and they hit him with a stick. They hit him, they pressed the thorns in the crown and then they hit him in the head with a stick. Beating him with a rod. They tied him to a post and took what they call a cat of nine tails. It's a whip that has nine different leather straps and inside of the leather straps, they would tie in barbed wire and glass and sharp rocks. And they gave him 39 lashes with nine straps. 
ripped the entire skin off his back. For the joy set before him. Stronger than the lashes, stronger than the beating, stronger than the nails that they drove through his wrist bones and ankle bones, stronger than the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured, endured it all. Do you know what the joy was? Do you know what he saw? He saw you. He saw you. He saw your face. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. He saw you. Jesus created you. He knew you before the beginning of time. He spoke you into existence. He called you by name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows how many hairs used to be on your head. He loves you. He knows you. You're his favorite. You're the apple of his eye. He did it all for you. He took all of that and he saw the joy before him and the joy before him, everything he did, he did in faith that somebody would see what he did. Somebody would see the sacrifice, that you would recognize the sacrifice and you would fall in love with him and put your faith in him. Oh, he had his beard ripped out of his face for you. The Bible said that he was beaten beyond recognition, that when he hung on the cross, it says that he was not even recognizable as a man. All of the sins of the world came upon him. He literally in his last words cried out, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time he experienced the complete and total withdrawal of the presence of God. Can I tell you that if God ever withdrew himself from you, if he withdrew his grace from you, you couldn't make it for a second. Jesus took the rejection of God upon himself so that you never have to. Jesus was stronger than all that. You know what else Jesus was stronger than? He was stronger than the grave. Jesus was stronger than the grave. Jesus didn't stay on the cross. They put him in a tomb, but he didn't stay in the tomb either. The Bible says that he descended into hell. He descended into the grave and he led captivity captive. The Bible says it describes that there was a holding place called Sheol, the grave. And when people would die before Jesus came to sacrifice his life for the sins of all mankind, before they would die, they would be held in a place where they were in a holding pen in the grave. They didn't, they didn't go all the way into heaven or didn't go all the way into hell. They were in a holding place. There's a day of judgment coming. But Jesus descended into hell, descended into the grave. The Bible says that he took the keys of death and hell. Jesus now holds the keys of life. Jesus declared in the book of Revelation, I am the one who holds the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Jesus has all authority. He did it all for you. Oh man, I remember. I remember the first time I ran a full marathon. My buddies tricked me into it. They all talked me into it. All these training buddies. I'm training, we're running, running, training. A full marathon's 26.2 miles. We're doing all these training runs, 18 mile training run, practice run, 20 mile practice run, 22 mile practice run. It's miserable. The only thing that gets you through is you've got your buddies with you. And then it comes race day. 
Dallas White Rock Marathon. It's race day. My buddy's sick. My other buddy's hurt. I'm showing up alone. I've spent four months of my life. I'm showing up alone at a race. It's 35 degrees and I'm in shorts and a tank top and I'm about to run 26 miles. And I'm like, what is this? This is ridiculous. And I'm like, darn it, I'm doing this thing. I'm doing this thing. And I'm, I'm running. I had trained to run about a, probably an, a, a nine minute mile marathon. We were trying to break four hours in, in, in the marathon. And so I was training to do that. And, and I, but I, got, I felt a little froggy that day. And so I jumped up with a pace group that was the 815 pace group. 45 seconds a mile makes a very, very big difference. It, it was, it was uh, mile 19 when I bonked, is, is what they call it. Bonking is when your blood sugar completely drops and, and you feel like you're going to die. And, and you literally, I mean, literally, it's like everything, my vision came down like this. And I, and I can't imagine what I must have looked like. I, I never quit running, but I literally was like, just like drunk falling forward, just like moving. And people were like, you can do it, buddy, don't quit. And, 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 I'm, and, I'm, and I'm sitting there literally, I'm just mad. I'm mad at my friends. I'm mad at my, I'm like, this jerks. Can't believe, so these guys are pastors, jerks. Told me they'd run this thing with me. Where are they at now? Bunch of, and all of a sudden, and, and I'm just having to dig deep. See, one of the things that I did all through my training, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't wear earbuds. I wouldn't do, I would just go and run and be alone with Jesus and I would pray and I would worship. That's how I did my training runs. Hours and hours of running and praying and running and worshiping. And all of a sudden, about mile 24, I, I had, when I, when I hit the wall and I was just felt like I was gonna die, I, I remembered this is what I do. And I start praying and I start worshiping. And all of a sudden, mile 24, I came out of the cloud, my vision came back, and I ran the last two miles faster than I ran some of the other miles, and I finished my goal. I'm not saying that for any other reason, that there was a strength that came when I connected and I remembered the power of God that was given. Did you know the power of God that's in your life is for every part of your life? For every part of your life. The power of God that's in your life, it's for your work life, it's for your, your social life, it's for your family life, it's for your, your recreational, it's for all of your, it's for every part of your life. Jesus said that he, he said that you might have life and life more abundantly. Can, can, you, can you align with something absolutely amazing that Jesus didn't quit on you? Every time you think about quitting, you should think about Jesus. I, I did an illustration when I was a youth pastor. I was... It, if social media had been around when I was a youth pastor, I might still be in jail. The stuff I did to teenagers, I had a teenager, Jason Smith. I picked on Jason because Jason, literally, he was a 14-year-old kid, great kid, I love this kid. He was one of those kids, he's like, he's like, a, he's like your favorite dog. Um, that you just want to love, and you, but you know he's going to poop on the rug. That was Jason Smith. He's going to do something stupid. Every single day, he's like, he's like Pastor Joel, one day I'm going to marry your daughter. I'm like, oh yeah? He goes, hey, he goes yeah, because man, she's gonna be so hot. He goes, you know why she's gonna be so hot? I'm like, why, Jason? Because your wife is so hot. I'm like, I will, a 14-year-old kid. So we're doing an illustration. I mean, every time he saw me, one day I'm gonna marry your daughter, she's gonna be so hot. You know why? You know why. So I do this illustration, and I, and I make this massive cross 
this thing was like 200 pounds. And I pulled Jason out of the youth group. There's like 400 kids there. And we heave this thing up on his back and I'm making Jason stand there and hold this cross the entire time I preached. And every single time he starts getting fidgety and whatnot. I'm like, is it too heavy for you? Is that too heavy? Jesus carried that cross for you. And I'm yelling at it. I mean, it was so abusive. I mean, it was absolutely, I don't think I've ever confessed this until just now. But I'm literally, dude, we had so many kids get saved that night. It was unbelievable. Come on, the pressure that Jesus was under and he didn't quit. He finished. He's the author. He's the finisher of your faith. He has the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He is stronger than the grave. I've been to the grave. I've been to the tomb. Jennifer, I've seen it. It's beautiful. It's a garden tomb. It's empty because Jesus rose from the dead. John chapter 20, verse one says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she came and ran to Simon Peter and the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we didn't know where they had laid him where they have laid him and, and the disciples then ran to the tomb and Mary is, I guess, following or walking, but Jesus reveals himself to Mary. He shows himself to Mary. Mary, when she recognized, at first she thought he was the, the, the gardener. She sees him, she's like, do you know where, where they've taken our Lord? She thinks he's, she's talking to the gardener and he turns to her and says, Mary, and she recognizes him. He was in his glorified body. He says, don't touch me yet. I haven't yet ascended to my father. He descended into hell. Bible says he led captivity captive. All those who were dead in faith, he led them captive and he ascended to the father. And on the exact same day, he comes back down after ascending to the father. John 20 verse 19 says, and then the same day in the evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were all shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw that he was the Lord Jesus. And he said to them, peace to you. As the father has sent me, I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is the purpose, guys. The whole purpose of Jesus coming to earth. He didn't come just to die. He didn't come just to raise to life again. He came to to release the Holy Spirit into your life so that you could be filled and embodied with the actual spirit of the living God. And then watch what he says to them. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. That is an unbelievable amount of authority that he released to his disciples. It's the same authority that he has released unto you. And let me tell you something, y'all. It's why it's so important that we as believers don't become bitter and hold grudges against people and live our lives in bitter unforgiveness because you're retaining sins. You're retaining sins when you live in unforgiveness. You have the ability like Jesus to release forgiveness upon people, to release grace upon people, to release mercy upon people. And all too often, Christians walk around mad, looking at other humans and thinking that other human is my enemy. 
that other human is a child of God who may be possessed by the devil, your enemy. So you don't hate the human, you hate the devil. You don't curse the human, you curse the devil. You're allowed to curse at the devil. Don't, don't go practicing that right now in church. But I mean, if you're gonna curse, man, curse at the devil, right? I mean, for crying out loud, he deserves it, but not the human. We're supposed to love humans, release humans, lead humans to Jesus. Jesus paid the price for you. When Jesus rose from the dead, here's what's so amazing. When he died, it was so powerful. The whole, the whole earth, uh, it says in the scriptures that the whole earth became dark for about three hours. Darkness came over the whole earth. And that at the moment when he gave up his spirit, there was a massive earthquake. The rocks split apart. Inside of the temple, down the hill, across the hill, the, inside the temple, it would be like a, like a curtain that went all the way across the front 20 foot high, 30 foot wide, and the fabric is like nothing you've ever seen in your life. This curtain was as thick as a man's hand, about four or five inches thick, this curtain. Theologians said that two teams of oxen on either side could not have pulled it apart. But at Jesus' death, that curtain ripped from the top all the way down to the bottom, ripped in two. No human could have ripped it. It was only the Spirit of God. And what it represents is the Spirit of God leaving the building of that temple and being prepared to live inside of you as his temple. The Bible says that the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work inside of you. It's available to you. The Bible says that, that increasingly, abundantly above anything you could ever ask, think, or imagine, God can do according to the power that's already at work inside of you. You got to put your faith in him, put your trust in him. And you may feel like quitting. You might feel like throwing in that. I don't know what you're dealing with in life right now. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what pressures you might be carrying. I don't know what's going on in your marriage. I don't know what's going on with your kids. I don't know what's going on with your finances, but God does. You may find yourself in a place where you're saying, I, I just can't do it. I don't have it in me. God, pick someone else. God, get me out of this. Can I tell you that Jesus is saying to you, no, 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 you're stronger than. You're stronger than that. You're stronger than that. See, the Bible says that unless you deny yourself, Pick up your cross daily and follow him. You cannot be his disciple. That's what Jesus said. None of you have an actual cross that you have to pick up, a physical cross. None of you most likely will die on a physical cross. But every one of you have a figurative cross. It's the, it's the place or the season of suffering in your life that you have to walk through that no one can rescue you out of, that no one can get you an escape hatch. You've got to walk through it. It could be a bankruptcy. It could be a death. It could be a, a divorce. It could be someone you, nobody knows what you may walk through in your life. You may walk through things that you, that you never planned and you never wanted, but all of a sudden you're walking through the most hellacious season and you're saying, God, I can't do this. I don't have it in me. I can't make it. And God says, no, no, no. 
I put exactly what you need inside of you and you're stronger than, pick up your cross, follow me in the midst of the pain, follow me in the midst of the stress, follow me in the midst of the pressure. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's what the Bible says. If God is for me, then who can be against me? That's what the Bible says. You gotta get the word of God in your heart. You gotta memorize the word of God and get it in your heart. The only way that Jesus defeated temptation See, Jesus took temptation. He defeated temptation. He went face to face with the devil, the devil himself. You've never seen Lucifer. Jesus went face to face and defeated Lucifer at his own game. You, you have minor league little demons that come to your house. You don't have Lucy. Lucy don't show up for you. I got, I got, I got opinions about Lucy, but I'm gonna, leave, I'm gonna leave that alone right now. It's Easter Sunday, I'll tell you later. Jesus went face to face, head to head, and defeated the enemy. You know how he defeated the enemy? Because he had God's word in his heart. He had memorized the word of God. And every time the enemy tried to trick him into something, Jesus said, no, 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 it is written. No, uh-uh, it is written. This is what God's word says. You're stronger than anything the enemy can throw your way because of the power of Jesus Christ that's alive in you if you receive him. If you receive him. I wanna pray with you today. I wanna pray that you receive the gift of life, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of salvation. Everything Jesus did, he did for you. Everything he endured, he endured for you. For the joy set before him, he saw you, he saw your face and he died on that cross for you. He paid that price for you. Every bit of suffering, every bit of anguish, every bit of pain, every bit of turmoil, every bit of rejection, every bit of betrayal, all of it, all of it, all of it for you. You can never live good enough. You can never earn your way. Only by faith in Jesus Christ. The scripture says there's only salvation is found in one name, one name, and that's the name of Jesus. There's no other opportunity for salvation. There's no other pathway, it's one path. His name is Jesus. If you find yourself today sitting in this room or watching with us online, hundreds of you watching online every single week, thank you for being with us online. But if you're, if you're there right now and you're thinking, man, I don't know if I'm right with God. I don't know if I'm right with God. Listen, this is your moment. This is your moment to say yes to Jesus. This is your moment to receive the strength of Jesus in your life so that you can be stronger than anything the enemy throws your way. This is your moment. Wherever you sit, pray this prayer with me. Just say this right now. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I receive salvation in Jesus' name. Father, forgive me for my sins. I need you in my life. Make me clean. Wash me. I believe Jesus died for my sins. He rose from the dead for my victory, for my salvation. Today I make him my Lord and I ask your Holy Spirit to come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your power. Give me your gifts of the spirit so that I can walk like Jesus walked and operate in his power to overcome the enemy and to overcome the world. In Jesus' name, I'm saved. Amen. Amen. Come on and give yourself a hand. God is good. God is good. God is good. 
Hey, I'm gonna ask you to do something real quick. If you prayed that prayer and you know today was a day of real decision and you made a real decision to get your life right with God, I'm gonna ask you to do something really simple and that's to acknowledge that decision. That's it. Just gonna ask you to acknowledge that decision and this is the reason why. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. If you vouch for me in front of people, I'll vouch for you in front of my Father in heaven. This is the warmest room you'll ever find yourself in. Maybe someone in this room was praying for you to make that decision. And this is a day that we get to celebrate with you. Don't keep that decision a secret. If you made that decision, when I count to three, just say, that's me, Joel. I gave myself to Christ. I gave myself back to God today. I got my life back right with God today. Whatever your decision was, you got right with God. You gave your life to God today. If that's you, ready? One, two, three, go, be bold. Anyone in this room right now, anyone in this room? I got right with God today. I prayed that prayer. I gave myself to God. Anybody in this room? All right, God bless you. That's awesome. Those of you that are online, shoot that, shoot an email to us, info at oakschurch.com. We wanna connect with you and help you in any way, shape, and form we possibly can. Uh, thank you all. God bless you. We love you. I'm gonna, we're gonna go back into worship, aren't we? Let's worship. Okay, come on, let's worship the Lord right now. You ready? Let's do it. God bless. We pray this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks for listening and have a great week.